Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, in our downtown studios in Providence on this lovely, crisp, clear Wednesday morning. Uh, I am joined in studio by my co-conspirator. He is the sports director at WPRI 12 and Fox Providence, Maury Hirschgordon, ladies and gentlemen. Maury, how are we doing? Got you doing well. Uh, thanks again for having me on, as always. Look, look, always look forward to the pod. Um, football season's behind us, at least for the majority of us here in New England who cover or root for the Patriots. Sadly, um, yes. Yeah, quite, quite, a, quite a disappointing showing uh, out in western New York on Saturday. But with that, that means uh, our college hoop scene takes center stage. And uh, what better time than to talk about college hoops as PC gets back in the mix. URI looks like they could uh, potentially be a player atop the A-10 with a, a soft early A-10 slate, and uh, Bryant looks good, and still a lot to talk about with Brown early on in their Ivy League schedule, so um, great time here to be a fan of college hoops. Yeah, we'll start the pod with two pieces of good news. First, uh, Maury is back and thawed out from lovely Orchard Park. (laughs) In case folks hadn't heard, it was cold the other night. Uh, for Buffalo and the Patriots. Uh, your first time up there? First time in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, the thing I'll say is it reminded me of home in terms of being from Philly. Like, we hadn't won a Super Bowl up until a couple years ago, but you live and you breathe Eagles when you're in Philadelphia. It is a hoop city, and, and you know, you get a little bit of that baseball feel as well and hockey when they're hot, but football year in and year out. Man, oh man! I mean, these Bills fans, without winning a Super Bowl and for the for how long they got, you know, smacked by the Patriots for two decades, they yeah. were n- not one fan left that game, uh, even when it was decided in the first quarter, second quarter. I mean, it was it was a party, and I'm sure they're still partying. No, they're entitled to it. Uh, they've had a great two year run here. Uh, interested to see if if they can continue. They obviously have a great young quarterback in Josh Allen. Um, you know, and I, I had a couple friends actually, a couple fraternity brothers who were in attendance the other night, oh, nice. uh, who are Western New York natives. They were loving it. Uh, you know, we were texting back and forth a little bit, and you know, I, I said, "Hey, enjoy it." I said, "These are the good times." You know, this this is how it's supposed to feel. It's it's a good thing. Um, you know, so definitely enjoy it. Uh, second, I'd like to offer congratulations to Maury. Uh, he is the state sportscaster of the year, according to the National Sports Media Association. Uh, he shares that honor with Ian Steele of ABC6. Uh, you know, two guys who, who I've gotten to know in the market pretty well. Uh, two guys who grind really hard and do a really good job for their respective outlets. Congratulations, my friend. Kachi, thanks so much. And it means a lot coming from you, who's a past winner. Uh, and the real, the real big thing I'll say is one, my team at WPRI 12. I've got a great, great team there, and Rosie Langello, Taylor Begley, and, and JP Smallins, as well as the rest of the crew. Um, and then also just you guys who, who we're on the sidelines with, we're on the road with. You, your guys' hard work, your guys' hustle inspires us at WPRI 12, and hopefully we can say the same about ours. And uh, I think when you bring your A game all the time, and we all bring our A games across, you know, all the outlets, print and, and TV, then we all continue to raise our game. So in turn, we all help each other. And uh, just flattered and honored, and a big congratulations to Ian as well at Channel Six because uh, he works his works his tail off, and literally and figuratively, his nickname that I call him the Steel Man. I mean. There is nobody that works harder than Ian, so uh, congratulations to him as well. Yeah, there was a uh, also a tie for Sports Writer of the Year. My teammate here at the Journal, Mark Daniels, uh, primarily covers the Patriots, uh, does great long-form features uh, before each game day on a Sunday. You'll see him jumping in on college hoops a little bit over the next couple months. And my old friend, Brendan McGare, uh, you know, who's with the Pawtucket Times and Woonsocket Call. I think this is his fifth Sports Writer of the Year uh, nomination. Closing uh, in on Belichick. Yeah, uh, you won't you won't find someone who who is better sourced, uh, better tied into the community he covers than Brendan. Uh, you know he he does great work. Uh, you know on the Friars as well. Um, yeah, so congratulations to those guys. Uh, you know it is a, a nice honor. Uh, you know it's not what we do the job for. We don't do it to be recognized. We don't do it to be the story. But um, I think in any line of work. Uh, you should reward excellence. And, and in your case, and, and in the case of those other three fine gentlemen, I, I think it was appropriate to, to recognize uh, your efforts. Uh, and now we will get to the business of college basketball. And, Maury, I, I wonder, 
Um, I'll throw it open to you. Where would you like to start here? Because there's no shortage of teams who we could lead with. Uh, games are being played. Uh, there are some off-court stories as well. Um, it's a nice time in the schedule at this point. It is. It is. And we're taping this at around 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Um, we hope, we think, we've heard that PC will play Thursday at 5, but I guess in today's day and age you never really know. Uh, but I think we, we still should start with the Friars, up to 21 in the AP poll. Uh, obviously the best team in the state uh, and really the only lock right now to make the tournament um, as we make plans for February and March. So I think we got to start with Ed Cooley's bunch. Uh, and actually, we've heard from the source himself, Ed Cooley, uh, who was on a Zoom call with us on Tuesday. He said they expect to play Thursday night or Thursday evening, I should say, uh, against Georgetown. 5 p.m. tip at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Note the early start time. Uh, the Friars were last in action on January 8th. That was a Saturday against St. John's. Uh, they played a strong you know, final 14 minutes or so in, in beating the Red Storm, um, but have been idle since. Uh, made a trip to Creighton, had some players report some COVID-19 uh, symptoms, tested on site in Omaha and, and found some positives, uh, returned home and found more positives. Uh, Cooley has described the situation as rampant in the Providence program, uh, said they expect to have the required seven scholarship players and, and one coach, uh, you know. But otherwise, we're not sure who's going to be on the floor for the Friars on Thursday night. Uh, Ed revealed that that he also tested positive for COVID nineteen, uh, you know, isolated at home for five or six days, um, you know, felt mostly cold symptoms. The the good thing here is, you know, Providence's program is majority vaccinated, uh, Ed included, uh, so we haven't seen any serious illness among the Friars, uh, you know, but certainly a, a setback, Maureen, and obviously, you know, you're sitting here in the top 25 for the fifth straight week, uh, you know, you're at 14-2 and two and 4-1 and one in the Big East, um, you had nice momentum, you, you had a good thing going, and, and you wonder how quickly Providence will be able to pick up where they left off. For sure, and it starts with effort on Thursday night against Georgetown, and, and Ed talked about that um, in his availability before Georgetown on Tuesday morning, and, and one thing that caught my eye was... At the end, he said he went and showed um, his team on Tuesday, their first practice back, a video of Ray Lewis talking about effort. And to your point, Kachi, of saying, okay, we don't know who's going to play for the Friars. We know that uh, there'll be the, the minimum seven in, in a PC uniform. It's got to be all about effort. You know, they could have their best seven players. They could have, you know, the, the, the bottom seven on the depth chart. It doesn't matter. Uh, who they have, it's got to be all about effort, especially when it's going to probably take a little bit of time early on to knock the rust off, uh, maybe get a little bit of that chemistry back. Uh, you know, you you got to play five to eight game minutes to really get back in the flow, get a sweat going, feel the crowd, feel a, an opponent's body uh, hitting you on the offensive end. I mean, all of those things you can't take for granted. Sure, the guys are 18 to 23, 24 years old, uh, but it still takes time when it's been that long of a stretch off. And um, effort is going to be key uh, for this Friars team. It's also nice. Uh, after this long stretch to have uh, two home games and two uh, there's no easy games in the Big East but if you're going to call two opponents easy uh, at this point Georgetown and Butler are as close as that gets yeah you're coming back with a couple strugglers here uh, you know two teams who, who are in the bottom third of the league and, and quite honestly Maury they figure to stay there uh, Georgetown is 6-8 and eight. they're 0-3 in the conference uh, Butler who Providence will host on Sunday is 9-8 and 2-4 and four. Uh, coming off getting drilled by 40 against Villanova, uh, also losing at UConn on Tuesday night, a, a game where, you know, realistically, Butler wasn't all that competitive. Uh, UConn had control of that game throughout. Most of it ends up being a 17-point final. Um, you know, more I look at Georgetown, and, and obviously they've got Aminu Muhammad, who, who looks like a one-and-done pro, uh, classic NBA shooting guard size, um, you know, ha- has the highest usage rate, on their team, he, he was clearly promised the keys. Uh, you know, is the top freshman in the Big East. Um, you know, but beyond that, Georgetown's lost four in a row. Um, their last 88-69 against St. John's on Sunday, they were pretty much non-competitive in that game. Uh, they've lost other games to Dartmouth, St. Joe's, TCU. If you take away the Big East tournament championship, and really, if you take away a Colin Gillespie knee injury last year 
Uh, Georgetown was the eight seed in the field. They would have played the one seed in Villanova. Full strength Villanova probably gets rid of the Hoyas. Instead, Georgetown goes on this magical run and wins the Big East tournament. Even if your name is Patrick Ewing, if you put down on paper what you've put down in his coaching tenure with the Hoyas, you should be in trouble. Oh, big Frank. time. Oh, you should be in trouble. And should it was, be in trouble. It was great last March in your fields, you know, Patrick Ewing at the Garden, uh, old school Georgetown, you know, making a nice run. But yes, it's it's tough. Georgetown is in a really, um, a really hard spot. Uh, you feel for him uh, as a person, for sure. Uh, but as the coach, whether it's the talent hasn't been there, they haven't put the talent together, they haven't recruited well enough. Uh, they haven't beaten who they should. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the overall record. I don't have it in front of me, but it's probably not great. And um, some of the losses you pointed out this year uh, aren't going on the resume. And, and even the first year, I think, when he got there, I mean, his strength of schedule, they played, it felt like, every team in the MEAC that year, every team in the SWAC. And um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been um, not the Georgetown that we're used to. And that program's now been um, struggling a little while since JT3 left. Yeah, they've been down for a bit, and, and this is the danger at, at this point is, is do you atrophy? You know, I mean, in New Georgetown, you're in a great area to recruit. You're in the DMV. You have all that great history. You're in a conference that fits you. Um, you know, but in, in Ewing seasons, 15 and 15, 19 and 14, 15 and 17, 13 and 13, they're looking at another 500-ish at best this season overall record. Uh, you mentioned the strength of schedules, just not there, obviously. Um, you know, you look at Georgetown from the standpoint that who they could be recruiting. Uh, I mean, yes, you get Aminu Muhammad. You lose Kadus Wahab before the season starts to Maryland. That's a foundational building block guy, someone who could have been a star in the Big East. I understand that people on your bench are going to transfer. I get that. They're unhappy about their playing time. They think they'll get more elsewhere. Whatever. That's okay. If you are a winning program, a program that is going to be in March and going to be a factor, you cannot lose starters to the portal. No. Cannot happen. You've invested so much time in recruiting and developing those guys. If they leave, you can pretty much run up the white flag and say, we're not competing anymore. This is over. We're in big, big trouble as a program. Um, you know, Georgetown's at that point. Uh, I think, you know, depending on what happens there over the course of the rest of the season, I, I think their administration's going to have to take a hard look and potentially make a really, really difficult decision. Yeah, especially when you look at the fact that Maryland is in your backyard and it's not like Wahab was going home, so to speak. No. You know, no. this is a guy who was born in Lagos, Ni- you know, Lagos, Nigeria, and, uh, and he's going to a school in your backyard. So it's one thing if he's moving across the country, you know, he's got a, a family member who's ill, wants to be around them for a final year. You know, there are plenty of cases where we see that. Uh, but yeah, to go to Maryland after you won a Big East championship. Uh, and he had quite a year last year, averaging 13-8 and eight and uh, shots the ball 60% from the floor. And you feel good. You know he's going to play 30 minutes a game the following year. For him to go to Maryland, that was quite a gut punch. Yeah, really tough. Uh, you know, and obviously you, you got Georgetown coming in here on Thursday. That's a game that, that Providence would be expected to win. Um, you know, according to Ken Palm, the Friars are double-digit favorites. I, I would imagine our friends in Vegas will feel the same way. Um, you know, you wonder what we're going to see out of Providence coming off COVID pause. You, you wonder what the lineups are going to be. Uh, you wonder the status of A.J. Reeves. He's still dealing with the fractured left pinky finger. Uh, Ed Cooley said that he expected him at practice on Tuesday. So I, I think that means that he is one of the COVID negatives. Uh, whether or not he will play is a different story. Um, you know, but we will all see together uh, when Providence returns to the floor. And, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm just thrilled they're going to be playing games again. Oh, me too. I'm very excited. And um, for, the, for the, you know, all the talk about PC's uh, schedule uh, and I guess the breaks that they've had in terms of Johnny Davis not playing for Wisconsin and you get Texas Tech in their first, you know, true Power Five game on the road. Noah Dama Sanogo um, for Noah UConn. Noah Dama Sanogo. Yep. Seton Hall was gutted. Uh, and they only had eight available players. Yep, no Tyree Samuel, no Ike Obiagu. So you, so you avoid that tough three-game stretch. Obviously, PC was willing to play. They were out in Omaha. They, they were ready to go. And then you come home, and three out of your next four now are at home, and mm-hmm. two are, are, are fairly easy. I mean, 
just as a PC fan, you have to keep some perspective. This, you know, eventually you're going to have to play three or four straight against your Villanovas, your Yukons, your Xaviers, the class of the league. I mean, um, it could be an inflated 16-2 and two to start uh, a little bit. And, and, and they've, earned, they've earned the wins, and they've, they've beat the teams that are on their schedule. You can only play who's on your schedule. Um, but to start 6-1, and one, if they beat Georgetown, if they beat Butler, they're going to again be ranked top 20 in the country. Expectations will probably be raised even higher seven games into the conference slate. Mm-hmm. And I just want PC fans to, 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 to caution just a little bit. Uh, take it one step slow. Get A.J. Reeves back healthy. Um, you know, go through a tough two, three-game stretch, maybe on the road in, in league play. Because um, then if they start to win those, okay, then you can say, sure, you know, maybe they weren't breaks that the team caught before. The, the team was just, you know, really, really good. And, and I still do believe they are very good. And they are top the, the Big East. They are a top three or four team. Uh, but if you're six and one, you're at like two. Uh, or maybe you're in first place in the Big East if things break your way. And then you're talking like Big East championship with 10 very tough games left. See, now you're going to force me into glass half full, which is not my natural role here. But <laughs> perhaps I would say, if I was a Providence fan, that this is finally the year it's all coming together for us. Could be. And divine Providence, as they speak of. No doubt. Uh, up on Smith Hill. Um, you know, perhaps this is the year where Providence is getting its share of the breaks that they feel like they haven't gotten when they've been in the NCAA tournament against North Carolina or playing Dayton in Columbus or, you know, whatever it may be. I, Providence fans can can reel off a litany of, of grievances over the last, you know, 10, 12 years. I, I'm sure, and I'll leave them to do that. <laughs> I will not do that here. Um, so Providence against Georgetown, 5 o'clock on Thursday. Uh, be great to see the Friars returning. Uh, Maury, where should we go from there? Let's go to Kingston. Kingston, the men or the women in Kingston? That's a great point. Um, Isn't it great that we have an option? Two teams in Kingston we're talking about here. It is. Let's talk about both of them. You you start. You pick the team, but we'll 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 divert from the men's side and, and go to roadie women before we hit Brown and Bryant. Uh, well, let's start with uh, let's start with the ladies uh, because they have played most recently. Um, you know, on Sunday against you, uh, Sunday, Monday, okay. Monday against the UMass women, um, two teams who are expected to contend at the top of the A10, URI and UMass. Uh, the Rams start r- quickly in the first quarter, twenty-four to eight lead uh, after ten minutes, twelve minutes, ten minutes, twelve minute quarter, ten, ten minute quarter, ten. Yeah. What am I thinking? It's the NBA. Yeah, that's okay. ten minute quarters. I can't do math. It's too early for me. <laughs> 66-58 win. URI manages to to guard it all the way to the finish line. They are thirteen and three overall, three and zero, and lead the Atlantic Ten standings currently. Yeah, this is a team that could finish atop the A ten. Uh, UMass, very good program, uh, and really just came out to them and, and gave it to them. Uh, and then, you know, took a punch from UMass a little bit in the second quarter, definitely in the third. Yep. Um, but but the lead was big enough. They they made enough plays. Um, you know, we I mean, we continue to talk about it podcast after podcast. Just how impressive the job that Tammy Reese has done. Um, the depth um, that 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 she's had at least in, in in the starting five. I mean, she's got you know two or three really solid players, and uh, she seems to rely on on those starting five. But she has some options off the bench as well, and. Uh, this is a program that that you know really you know now we're 16 games into the season. It's not like they're five and zero anymore, seven and zero. You know they started off well. Now they're starting to 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 have the results in the A10, um, and it's a team that that yeah could be there at the end. I, I think what's maybe most characteristic of of good teams in college basketball is can you put winning streaks together? Can you be consistent? Your eyes on a six game winning streak now. They won seven in a row to start the year. So this is a team that can sustain good periods of play over an extended period of time. Um, you know, and I, I look at them the other night against UMass. Dolly Karens is in the starting lineup now. Uh, Marta Vargas was one of their last players to recover from COVID-19. URI women obviously had a pause earlier this year. Uh, Karens has 21 points. She's 5 for 12 from 3. Uh, plays 38 minutes. As you mentioned, you know, Tammy Reese is riding that starting lineup for big minutes. Uh, MP Fapasi played 32 minutes. She was the low 
out of the five starters. Uh, you know, you got Emmanuel Tahan has fifteen and nine. Des Elmore has nine and nine. You, there's no passengers there uh, among that group. Um, you know, and I, I just look at the core that she's assembled there, whether it's you know through four-year recruiting or, or through transfers, and it seems to work. The pieces seem to fit. Um, you know, they they are you know coming out mauling GW out of their paws. Um, beating George Mason at home, and, and now a marquee win against UMass. Uh, the URI women are at 54 in the NCAA's net rankings. Uh, UMass is ahead of them at 46. Um, you know, but otherwise, that's the only other A-10 school in front of them in the net rankings. Uh, the Rams have you know, showdown games coming up with the Minutemen again. They play them uh, over the weekend up in Amherst. Uh, they still have a couple games with Dayton. Uh, you know, still have matchups with Fordham. Um, you know, those are generally the first-class teams in the Atlantic 10. But the, the fact that URI women are, are at this point where you are now sort of expecting them to beat the good teams in the league, I, I mean, I, I think we need to continue to put this in historical perspective and just how much this program has struggled over time. The fact that they have one NCAA appearance in 1996 – uh, the fact that historically they've been more likely to start three and thirteen than thirteen and three, um, you know, it, it is remarkable the the job that Tammy Reese has done there into turning this program into uh, a factor at this point. Someone who we're actually discussing uh, on the podcast and using March as as like a you know a, a benchmark for their success. It, it really is remarkable. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the end of February. I mean, I, I expect this team to still be there around the top of the standings come come the middle to the end of, of next month. And and you have two games with Dayton and a four game stretch that feels like right now, you know, those two games could decide the A10 regular season champion. Um, so you URI still has to take care of business. And you mentioned they still have games leading up to that point. Uh, the, the return game at UMass, uh, which will be tough. Um, VCU is solid and Fordham is solid as well but uh, yeah it seems like all all eyes will be on the, those two games there with the Flyers at the end of the year um, that, that could ultimately determine who, who takes home a, a championship which the words championship with University of Rhode Island women's basketball uh, just don't really happen that often. No, they haven't gone together in, in a long time. Uh, you know, you or I at Duquesne on Wednesday night, that, that's a game that you hope they would take care of. Uh, you know, they are home again on Sunday against Davidson. Uh, and then next Wednesday, they go to UMass. Uh, and they enter a little bit more challenging part of their schedule at UMass. VCU at home, that's a rematch of, of a conference tournament game last year. Uh, you mentioned the backload in the schedule. You know, starts right before Valentine's Day. You got Fordham. Dayton, at Richmond, St. Bonaventure, and then at Dayton. Uh, you know, that will be a difficult closing stretch. Um, you know, but looking at this team right now and, and where they are, uh, they're in as good a position as, as they could be in uh, in terms of discussing potential NCAA tournament bid, which is, is not uh, something you would have had on your radar as recently as two or three years ago. Um more you mentioned the URI men. Uh, they will be in action Wednesday night at home against LaSalle. Will be a double-digit favorite against the Explorers. Coming off two straight wins. Uh, first against St. Joe's last Wednesday. And then Saturday at UMass. 81-68. Uh, a game that you know URI had a, a nice run to end the first half. And they weren't really seriously challenged in the second half. I, I thought they closed this out. Uh, pretty convincingly, pretty impressively on the road. Uh, Mullen Center has been a place where, you know, even when URI has been good in recent seasons, they've had some really tough challenges there, uh, played some games all the way down to the wire. Uh, but that was not the case uh, on Saturday. I think that was a reflection of both teams in the game. I, I think URI played well, and I think UMass is, is a disorganized mess. Uh, you know, but you're looking at the Rams at 2-1 and one in the league and, and in a stretch in their schedule where they could make some hay here. They really could. And it starts with sharing the ball on offense and limiting turnovers as well. Um, really like what, what David Cox's team has done the last few nights. Uh, he believes that they've turned a corner he's used the words playing the game the right way um and that and that's the case and and sure maybe they don't have a marquee win yet and um you know it was a soft out of conference schedule but um that's what 
reclaiming a culture is. Um, you know, the way you create buy-in, the way you create guys uh, that want to stay at your program after such a tough season last year is go out and win, you know, double-digit games in the non-conference. Uh, the last podcast I was on, I talked all about when you play teams as opposed to, you know, uh, where you play them. And, and, and they've had an easy, you know, uh, soft part of the A-10 schedule to open up. And that will continue to build the confidence. With LaSalle and George Washington, Rhode Island should be 4-1 and one through their first five games. And that will put you in good position to compete when you then go and play your VCUs, your Dayton's, your Davidson's a second time. Well, okay, you know, if you clean up the bottom in the middle part of the league, all right, then maybe you only have to go 500 against the, the tough teams to, to keep yourself afloat and keep yourself, you know, sniffing that double buy uh, to go into the A-10 tournament. So, um, you know, right now it looks like Rhode Island is improving. Um, they haven't played the toughest uh, schedule even in conference play outside of Davidson, which was also a very good showing for the first 33 minutes of that one. So hmm. uh, right now I like where I like where Rhode Island is. Uh, have to take care of business these next two games. And then everything's really in front of you when you're five games in and you're sort of at the quarter pole of the, of the conference slate. Um, you know, everything is still out in front of you. And we'll get to Brown in a, in a second, but I just want to create a parallel. Brown's played really well, and they're one in four in conference. They've had three really tough losses in terms of one or two possessions. Right. You feel better about yourself beating some of the lower-tier teams in the A-10 if you're Rhode Island. You stay afloat early on. It's easier to play from ahead, even if you haven't played some of the better teams. Whereas you're Brown, you've played some of the better teams in the conference in terms of Princeton and Yale. It's hard to feel good about it when those end results are losses, and then your back's against the wall at one and four. So it looks like Rhode Island could be the complete opposite at four and one, and really give itself an opportunity to uh, make a great season out of it. Yeah, and from the standpoint that you're coming off ten and fifteen last year, and, and you know a, a season that really got away from you uh, in the second half of the year, a, a season where at times you were non-competitive in, in games, uh, you know, and so far away from, from those back-to-back NCAA teams, uh, you know, it, it really looked as if you were headed somewhere you don't want to head, um, you know, and, and now, you know, yes, the, the record is what it is. Uh, you know, you, you haven't really, you're right. The, the only real non-conference challenge they had was at Providence, and, and they were outclassed in, in that game. Um, you know, but I would say from Davidson to UMass, you see them unable to close a game against the Wildcats. Different caliber of opponent, but you saw them play well uh, throughout the last 20 minutes and not really open the door uh, against the Minutemen uh, in that game. You also mentioned sharing the ball. 22 assists. Uh, they've only had more than that in one other game this year. That was against Georgia State. They had 25. Uh, 39 assists combined in the last two games for your eyes. So you're seeing them moving the ball. You're seeing good offense. They've shot the ball well all year. They're in the top 50 nationally from two and from three. Uh, it's just been a question of whether or not they would protect the ball. Whether or not they cut down on their turnovers, uh, the last couple di- last couple games they've done a little better job of that. Uh, they are out of the three hundreds at this point nationally. They're at two ninety four. They're under twenty one percent. At one point they were at twenty two percent in terms of turnovers. Their non steal turnovers down from about twelve and a half percent to about eleven percent. Um, you know, so they are getting better in that way. And and you would look and you would say, if they could just face the basket and get consistent shots up. Team shoots the ball pretty efficiently. Um, you know, it stands to reason that they would be able to score. I look at St. Joe's and, and I think, you know, okay, they weren't really that efficient. They still scored 75 points. Mm-hmm. There's some teams struggle to get to 60, yep. 65 in the league. The other night against UMass, they only made five threes and still scored 81 points. Uh, so this is a team that when they are clicking offensively, they can do some nice things at that end of the floor. Uh, you know, and what they did in the paint to UMass really stuck out to me. 46 to 8 in there. UMass was 7 for 32 from 2. Uh, you know, they sort of let them get off from 3 a little bit in the second half, but there was nothing easy at the rim. For the Minutemen, and, and I think that's where URI's strength is. I, I think it's in the front court. I think it's in the Mitchell Twins and in Antoine Walker uh, and in Malik Martin coming in and playing that big third guard. Um, you know, and I think that they can make life difficult for you 
Uh, if you're a team that likes to score at the rim, if they're willing to be physical uh, and willing to get up in your face and, and hit the glass, I, I think they can make it difficult for teams like LaSalle and George Washington who are going to come in here as double-digit underdogs. For a team like Richmond, who, who's not necessarily known as the most gritty in the A-10, uh, that'll be a critical game next Tuesday. Uh, you know, you're looking at a URI team that at that point could be 4-1 and one and, and winning four in a row, and a Richmond team that's just desperate to save their season with a bunch of fifth-year and, and grad guys. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and it, like you said, it goes through the, the, it goes through the big guys um, in the Mitchell Twins and, and Antoine Walker. Um, just even outside of Walker, the bench uh, has been so important and I think raises their ceiling um, a notch higher uh, than maybe we had expected going into the year. We didn't think Sebastian Thomas was going to play. He was a candidate to redshirt. Jalen Carey was coming off um, uh, a subpar first season. Malik Martin wasn't necessarily great last year. You know, showed some bright spots. Antoine Walker was really your only piece coming off the bench that you felt good about. And right. now that Rhode Island can can sometimes go nine deep, um, is impressive. Uh, you know, if uh, on a night when Jeremy Shepard goes one for eight, on a night when Ish Leggett goes one for four, you can have Jalen Carey come in, and I don't think he'll go four for six every night. That's not what his career numbers suggest. But if he can pop that in for you in, in, in 10 to 15 minutes, uh, Malik Martin and Antoine Walker have been super efficient. David Cox calls them his starting seven, so he feels good about them. And then you have a heady guard in Sebastian Thomas that will defend and that will open up shots for you and, and rarely turns the ball over. Then, yeah, th- I mean, this Rhode Island team could be, we talk about it, the potential is a scary word, but they do have the potential there to finish in, in the top four. And um, the way that the schedule is opened up, four and one, five and one, you know, is, uh, is right there. So you have LaSalle coming in here. Uh, LaSalle is six and eight overall. They're one and three in the A-10. Um, snapped a four-game losing streak with a come-from-behind 75-64 win at St. Joe's. A brutal loss for the Hawks. Uh, I feel bad for our guy, Hawk Hill Hardwood, uh, on Twitter. Uh, he was suffering through that one. His live tweets were getting a little dark there uh, midway through the second half. Uh, LaSalle's not a good basketball team. And, and I, I think you could look and you could say, okay, they, you know, they lost in overtime at home to St. Bonaventure. Uh, you know, and then they win at St. Joe's. Are they improving? Let, let's hold our horses here a little bit because this is a team that lost by double digits on the road to Bucknell. They lost at home to Fordham. They lost by 20 at home to VCU. This is a team that you or I should take care of. Uh, Jack Clark is a wonderful story. Uh, had a terrible knee injury early in his career. Was actually a player who you or I recruited. Uh, ended up picking the Explorers and, and is a talented guy. Uh, you know, sort of a rangy forward who can score it a little bit. He had a good night against St. Joe's. Josh Nickelberry is a Louisville transfer who, you know, they put a lot of stock in preseason. But if URI is going to keep momentum going, LaSalle shouldn't be a challenge for them. There, yep. there should be 40 minutes where you go out, you handle your business, you go to George Washington, you do the same on Saturday afternoon. And then you gear up for Richmond, which should be a real game, uh, you know, sort of one-two possession game at the Ryan Center with the students back on campus. Ideally, you've got a little atmosphere mm-hmm. for that one. Um, you know, so I, I look and, and I say the Rams have a chance to go on a little run here. Uh, I asked David Cox about that on Saturday in Amherst, and he said, all I know is that we're playing LaSalle next, and I don't want to hear anything else <laughs> about it, which which was exactly what you would expect from a head coach. The, exactly. The, I, I said, it's up to media guys like me to get ahead of ourselves, and I know that you're just looking one game by one game. No doubt. Because, you know, you, you do get on a run here, and then, you know, the next game after Richmond is that Friday night A-10 special on ESPN2 that the conference has um, every week. So, you know, then, you're, then you, know, you, put, you put three more together. You're 5-1 and one in conference. Uh, Dayton right now is 4-1, is and one, and we expect them to keep winning. Uh, and you're 15-4 and four overall, and then you really give the nation uh, a chance to, to look at your program and say, okay, this team could be a contender in the A-10. Speaking of contenders in their respective conferences, Bryant, Maury. Bryant is turning into who we thought they would be. They're back. They're back. 
you, you look at their efforts in the NEC right now. Uh, you credit them with a win at Fairleigh Dickinson after the Knights had COVID-19 troubles. You add that to the record. They're 5-1 and one in the NEC. Their only loss is in overtime at Wagner, who is a preseason favorite. Their most recent result on Monday, an 82-52 demolition of St. Francis PA, a game that was never close. Uh, Bryant showed its class in this game. Uh, Peter Kiss with 31 points. Charles Pride adds 18. Hall Elijah with 12 and 11 rebounds. The trio there, there's really been an uptick from those three veterans in terms of how well they've played together in giving games. And I think that those were always the guys who were going to have to drag them out of that difficult stretch in the non-conference where, let's be frank, they played a schedule that was way over their heads. I think that was by design, certainly. Jared Grasso wanted to expose his guys to elite opponents. Um, you know, Didn't necessarily see something like at Houston coming where you lose by 67. Um, you know, and you're wondering where is this season going to go from here. Um, you know, but Brown has uh, Brown Bryant has found it here, um, five and two in their last seven. Uh, you know, and obviously you 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 play a game like you did on Monday, where you just handle the red flash in in that fashion. Um, Brown looks like a team that that we expected to contend for an NEC title at the outset. Oh, it is. And at the beginning of the season, I was uh, bullish on Brian, as were you. And uh, I went as far as even to say, you know, they're going to be that team potentially in March. You know, if you're in Arizona filling out your bracket, you know, who's this team that's 28 and 5 and, and has some gaudy record? Right. Um, and, you know, you lose a, a questionable game to Bethune Cookman and you lose to Dartmouth at home and um, you lose to Stony Brook. But there were, uh, there weren't excuses, but there were reasons why. Um, you know, maybe they didn't they didn't start well. You had Peter Kiss who missed some some time early. Then he had the flu, and then he had COVID. And Bryant had a bout with COVID. And you know, there there, there are reasons why you know Bryant wasn't wasn't great early. Um, but they also you could see the potential there when they beat Brown on the road in a really tough gritty game. Uh, I guess we can call it a rivalry game. Um, UNH is a very solid team in, the, in in America East, and they handled them at home toward the end of their out of conference schedule. Yep. Um, and then they started to put the pieces together, and and maybe the only thing that's holding them back right now is that loss at Wagner that that is that thorn in their side, um, a game that they they deserve to win that they really led throughout and controlled much of that one. Uh, and Wagner was picked preseason, you know, number one right ahead of Bryant. So right. other than that, uh, you could see everything sort of uh, coming into rounding into form. Um, and this team is now 5-1. and one. The talent gap that Bryant has compared to the rest of the league or the majority of the rest of the league is, is significant. Um, and this is a team that, um, you know, despite still not having that lead point guard, um, at times can, can mask that um, and, and will beat a large portion of the league and, and is right there to win an NEC regular season title uh, and right there to, you know, get revenge from from last year's loss uh, in the championship game. Yeah, and to that point, only nine turnovers the other night against St. Francis PA, 18 assists in the game. Uh, you mentioned revenge more. They got it on Saturday against Mount St. Mary's. Uh, they welcomed the Mountaineers here and beat them 73-67. Uh, uh, 73-66. Sorry, goodness. I can't speak and now I can't do math. I can't read scores. This is really bad. It's only 10 a.m. I know. It's tough. It's going to be a tough day. Am I going to make it to the 7 p.m. tip for you or I? I don't know. We'll you, see. No, you'll make it. Uh, you're right. I function better at that part of the day. Uh, the win over Mount St. Mary's, Adam Alita, 26 points, 8 for 13 from 3. Uh, the Northern Kentucky transfer doing the business in that one. Uh, you know, that's the type of shooter that they thought they recruited. Uh, you know, he's had some nights where he's been a little bit invisible. Certainly not on that occasion. Uh, you know, it made a huge difference uh, on a night where Charles Pride was sort of quiet, only had 13. Peter Kiss had 18 and six turnovers. Uh, you're thinking, where else is it going to come from? It came from Adam Alita, and I think this is a part of, you know, why Jared Grasso was so excited to coach this team coming into the year. He felt like he had a lot of different answers from a lot of different guys. And, and on a given night, it wouldn't just have to be Kiss, Pride, Elijah. He felt like there were other difference makers on this roster. You mentioned the talent gap, and I'll look at most of their NEC games. 
and I'll look at the game against St. Francis PA the other day and you know I look they've got Merrimack coming up on Friday uh, I've seen Merrimack earlier this year um, you know obviously you, you've got to play Central Connecticut again you look at Bryant's guys as opposed to another team's guys if you had the old schoolyard draft where you just lined them all up on the baseline and you pick teams I mean how many of Bryant's guys are going in the top 10 compared to their opponents in the NEC if you take Wagner out and maybe you know a team like LIU has some top tier talent um, you know a team like Mont St. Mary's has two or three guys who you'd really like to have Mezzi Offram is, is one of them Nana Poku is one of them but realistically, on most nights, Bryant's get the majority of those picks. I, I don't think it's a mystery how they're winning games here. Yeah, there's still six or seven teams left in the league when you take you know maybe a few of those, as you mentioned, out, out of it. Uh, Bryant's probably has seven of those top ten in those games, maybe eight, too, if... if if uh, if the team's really firing there, and uh, Adam Alita has stepped up very well, uh, he's sort of taken over the the role that Chris Childs had last year. It's it's scary because for as good as Bryant is, Bill, I think we can agree that if Chris Childs plays to the level that he's capable of, um, you know, right now shooting just thirty four percent from the floor and thirty percent from deep. Um, if, if they can find a, a solution at point guard and they can have Chris Childs fire, well, I mean, between him and Alita, those are two guys that usually sniff around the 40% mark. And then you have two potential all-league player, uh, player of the year candidates in the NEC in Kiss and Pride, and one of the best big men in the league. I mean, that's, that is a formidable uh, group there, especially when you add in then the headiness of, of a guy like Luis Hurtado or, or, or the speed of Erickson Bands off the bench. Uh, that's where this Bryant team could take it to a whole nother level where you know we expected them to be in games for at least a half against the Cincinnati's and the Houston's. Um, and and potentially maybe give give a team a little bit of a run in the NCAA tournament if they get there. But um, obviously, like any coach will say, as great as it is right now, Jared Grosso said they're way better than they were a month ago. They still have a long way to go. You know, he said it himself. He said we still need to be a whole lot better in a month from now when the NEC regular season schedule starts to wind down. The NEC tournament starts one of the first leagues um, to A, start their conference tournament and B, crown a champion. So uh, the season is definitely uh, closer to the end than even the other three that we cover. Uh, but it really looks like Bryant's in good shape. Still a lot of work. And, and I think it's smart for a, a head coach to say that. Never want to get complacent, uh, regardless of how good it is in, in the current moment. No, you look at Child specifically. I think he's been hurt most out of any player on that roster by a team without a true point guard. I, I think they're using Kiss in that role. And, and his usage rate has jumped exponentially from last year. Um, and he's not a pure point. I, I think when you have someone like Michael Green, who, who got his own offense, certainly, uh, but was able to find teammates in different spots, Child's one of them on the perimeter, Charles Pride another, uh, when the ball's not in Peter Kiss's hands and, and there might not be as much isolation or going to the rim, um, I think Child's found it a little easier to get his spots mm-hmm on the perimeter and find some open looks. And, and I think he's been stripped of those a little bit. Um, you know, I think Bryant's, you know, you look at their pace this year, still playing at a quick tempo, but not quite the breakneck speed that they played at last year. Uh, and I think Child's got a lot of open looks in transition last year. You know, those pull-up wing threes on a three-on-two, uh, you know, that shooters just love. That's a huge part of the modern game. You know, pace and space, the, the modern two-on-one is – one guy dribbles the ball up, the other guy spots up for three. You know, it's not going to the rim anymore. Uh, you know, three on two break. You know, two guys go into the lane and the other guy spots up for three. It's not filling the lane for a layup. It's Clay Thompson or Steph Curry for a wing three. Um, you know, that's modern basketball. And, you know, I think Childs is a perfect player in that way for the roster construction last year. I, I don't necessarily think that he's found his niche on this team just yet, hasn't necessarily found his rhythm yet. Um, um, but it is tempting to think that you have another weapon at your disposal who possibly, if he can fire over the last month, 
raise the ceiling even more for this team. Yeah, and and for all we know, we, we, you know, in the, in the little bit we've talked to Chris, he's got a really good head on his shoulders. Um, grinded, went through the JUCO ranks before he came to Bryant. Had a really good year last year, and averaging 14 points a game. And yeah. uh, now that I have the numbers up, 41 percent from the floor, 40 percent from three. I mean, this is a guy that can really shoot the lights out. So this is a guy that will continue to be in the gym, continue to work. Um, and as Jared Grosso tweets all the time, the relentless pursuit of progress. If Chris Childs can make progress the last five weeks of the regular season and really start to feel well come March, uh, it could be Bryant's conference to lose. Yeah, he's a guy who, who is constantly out shooting after games. Uh, you know, while we're writing our stories or you're cutting your highlights, uh, he's somebody who is in the gym at Chase Center after Bryant plays. Uh, he, he is one of the regulars there. We see him working on his game, even on game nights. Uh, you know, and, and ideally, in his case, and, and certainly uh, in my sense of fairness, I like to see that sort of effort rewarded. Uh, you know, so we look at Bryant going forward. Uh, they will be at Merrimack on Friday. They will have St. Francis Brooklyn coming in on Sunday. Uh, the pride of Pawtucket, Tedrick Wilcox, playing for the Terriers uh, and playing quite well uh, as a transfer from Division II Dominican College. Uh, you know, has been a um, it's been on the NEC honor roll at least once. Maybe twice on another point. Uh, you know, shooting the ball very well from three. Um, you know, type of guy who, who perhaps was, was overlooked by a few schools uh, the first time around and, and is making his presence felt in the Division One ranks the second time around. Uh, so good for Tedrick. Wonderful to see local guys do well. Um, you know, Maury will we'll go to Brown next. Uh, and Brown, obviously, in a difficult stretch here. Uh, Brown has lost seven out of eight. Uh, three in a row in the Ivy League. The, the latest, a, a thriller on Monday, a game where the Bears, um, you know, really showed a lot of determination in the second half, but left themselves too much work to do against the preseason conference favorite. That's Yale. 66-63 game at the Pizzatola Center. Uh, Yale gets a big tip in late by E.J. Jarvis. Brown had a defensive stop. They had a block shot by Jalen Ganey, and Jarvis managed to get the offensive rebound, tip it back up. Uh, Keno Lilly misses a tying three from the left wing, a shot that felt like it hit every bit of the rim before it spun out. Uh, Yale makes a couple free throws at the end to, to close it out. And, you know, really, as you alluded to earlier when you were trying to draw that parallel, uh, that's kind of the way it's been going for Brown. They, they've been snake bit at this point in the Ivy League, uh, lost at Penn by four, um, lost at Princeton by two, and now Yale at home by three. Fine margins, uh, but the fact is you're one and four with nine games left. Uh You've left a lot of work to do here over these last five or six weeks. And, and if we look at the, the records of teams that have slipped in as the fourth seed in the Ivy League, you know, out of 14 games, you feel confident at nine and five um, that you'll have the right wins and you'll have enough wins. Eight and six puts you in the hunt right there. That's where Brown's generally been the last couple years. Seven and seven, maybe if it's a down year, you have to win a tiebreaker. You have to go on the road and, and win a game to get in, a playing game, sure. You know, to go eight and six right now, you've got to go seven and two in your last nine. And it doesn't matter who you play when you have to win all of those games. It's tough to go in with the mindset game after game for now what will be a solid six-week stretch. The regular season ends March 5th. That I mean, that's a lot of mental pressure um, on, on the coaching staff and the players that you've got to go win 70 80% of your, of your final games here. Uh, granted, they do have plenty of home contests left. Five of the first six in the league will be on the road. Uh, the first four were all on the road. Right. Uh, and then they lost to Yale. They'll go to Columbia. Uh, this weekend, uh, a team who they should beat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it the last time that I was on the pod, uh, or maybe it was, you know, in our text thread during the games, as we usually do, you know, talking about the games, is, you know, when, if they could get Harvard, which they did, to get to one and one early in conference play, finish the weekend strong go beat Dartmouth so that you get out of those first four, two and two, you split the next two of Yale and Columbia, three and three, then it'd be a much easier spot than maybe where you are at two and four. Right. Um, if, assuming that they do beat Columbia. The good thing is 
Mike Martin's been around the block. TJ Sorrentine's been around the block. Um, and then they've ha- they have a lot of experience uh, on this team infused with some young talent uh, that's still just enjoying their first season in college basketball. Uh, Tamaning Cho, um, despite the loss, seemed to be in, in decent spirits uh, after, after the loss to Yale. Uh, Jalen Ganey has continued to show, to show promise. Paxson Wojcik is a heady player. Uh, and then you throw in a guy off the bench in Keno Lilly who they've relied on and um, who's been fairly efficient uh, as, a, as a rookie uh, here in college basketball in his first season. Brown has the pieces. Uh, they have the mental makeup. Uh, but that doesn't you know, mean that, that the hill still isn't steep. Uh, and it, it will be a very steep climb for the Brown Bears. Now, Tam and Cho has been fabulous. Uh, you know, had a career-high 30 points against Yale. Uh, has hit double figures in 10 of his last 11, has scored at least 18 points in all of his last six games. Uh, you know, and you look at a graduate student, uh, veteran in that program, uh, I think he's a three-year captain now. Um, this is the individual season he would have hoped to have. This is not the team season he would have hoped to have to this point. Um, you know, and I, and I look at Brown and, and I think to myself, they've played – They've played a few games where if they could have switched out the effort from one game into another, if they play the Princeton game at Penn, they win. Mm-hmm. They're two and three. Uh, if, if you play the Yale game at Dartmouth, you win. Yeah. Now you're three and two. Right. Um, you know, unfortunately, they've played a couple of A, A minus ish, B plus ish efforts against good teams. Princeton has been the best team in the league so far. Yale was a preseason favorite, and the only reason that they're not leading the league is because they were on COVID pause for an extended period. Uh, But Yale is very good. Uh, you know, and very tough and well coached by James Jones. Uh, you know, they, they defend, um, you know, they're athletic. Uh, they get on the glass. You look at Brown the other night, four for 17 from three. Uh, you know, they really needed to work hard for their points. Uh, and that's what Yale does to you. Um, that's what Yale did to Baylor in the NCAA tournament. That's the culture that James Jones has built there. He, he's a really good coach. Uh, you know, and quite honestly, we we're, were talking about. Uh, you know, jobs potentially opening, um, you know, before we came on the pod. How someone hasn't tried to hire James Jones yet, I I don't know what athletic directors want to see. I understand recruiting outside of the Ivy League is different than it is in the league. I I understand that, you know, James Jones is in his mid-50s now, and if you want to use his age against him, you can do that. Um, You know, but that's a guy who I, I consistently look at and think, well, why don't I hear his name more? For these other jobs, because I think he'd be wonderful just about anywhere he goes. As good as it gets in the in the region, as good as it gets up and down the eastern seaboard, year in and year out, Yale's a player. Uh, Yale's a player in the Ivy League. Yale's a player in the dance when they get in there. Um, and it's yeah, it's been a it's been been a really good run for him there in New Haven. Really good, um, you know, and that's that's a tough game. That's a game that if if you play the schedule game at the start of the year and you you assign a win and a loss to every game, you that's a coin flippish type game for Brown that you wouldn't have been stunned to see them lose, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though it is at home because Yale is very tough. Uh, you know, Zar Swain is one of the best players in the league, and and he delivered in that one with 22 points. That was a team high for the Bulldogs, and and so now you're Brown and and you're looking at. You know, going to Columbia and then Cornell at home, you have single games each of the next two weekends. Uh, you're looking at Ivy Madness, Maury, and, and you touched on it a little bit. Nine and five in each iteration of Ivy Madness, which is the four-team tournament at the end of the year, including the canceled event in the COVID year, which was 2019-20. Nine and five would have been good enough to get you the three seed in every season since they adopted that format. The first two years, six and eight would have gotten you in, considering the tiebreakers and everything else. The next year, you would have had to go 7-7, seven and seven. Um, and there were tiebreakers involved there, too. A clean 9-5 and five would, you, would get you into the field without tiebreakers, without anything else. Um, I think the minimum, and, and I agree with you, I think the minimum to feel any semblance of optimism, comfort, whatever word you'd like to use, is eight and six. I, I think that's where you need to get to. I think you need to be over five hundred. I think if you win eight games, you're going to give yourself a chance in the tiebreakers. You have a chance to be on the right side of some of those. Um, you know, and obviously, as you mentioned, going seven and two is a daunting challenge. Uh, it is a veteran team. It is a veteran coaching staff. But the fact is, you've run out of nights now where you can go out and have a subpar effort, and you still have 
some difficult games left on your schedule, whether it's Yale again to end the regular season. You still have Princeton coming here. You still have Harvard coming here. They're going to be looking for a split uh, after you beat them up in Cambridge. Uh, That's going to be a very important game for them. Uh, You have a stretch where you play six out of seven at home. Your only road trip in that is a lousy one. You go all the way out to Cornell, which is the longest trip in the league for Brown. Um, you know, so the schedule the rest of the way, you will be at the Pistola Center a lot. You will play some of the teams who you figured to finish ahead of in the league. But you've put it all on yourself now. You have to perform. There's no more margin for error here. Wipe Princeton, wipe Yale off the board. They probably finish 1-2 this year in the league, and that's certainly the way it's trending. Harvard, in order to have that tiebreaker, you have to sweep Harvard there. That, I mean, that has to be a win if you want to be a player. You've already lost to Penn. They're usually in that 3-4 mix. Uh, and in the top four, the best you can do is split. You can't afford to get swept by any of those middle-tier teams. So right. you have to beat Harvard. You have to beat Penn. Columbia is going to probably float around. Cornell is going to float around. You probably need to sweep those two teams. And then you can't get swept to Dartmouth, uh, but swept by Dartmouth. So uh, that's, really the, that's really the formula, is probably win every game on your schedule other than maybe Princeton and Yale that you can uh, that you can afford to lose, and that would put the Bears at eight and six um, with a sweep of Harvard, which potentially could come in as a tiebreak, and then you don't get swept by any other team, um, so that you don't lose lose a head to head outright. But this could potentially be a situation like we saw the Miami Dolphins this year in the NFL. Dolphins were snake bitten, lost uh, seven of their first eight, uh, and few in just heartbreaking fashion, one and seven. Then they got on a run. Then they went 7-7, seven and seven and they were a player for the last three games of the year. That's all we expect. That's all we can hope for uh, is for this Brown team that, hey, once the calendar gets to President's Day weekend, they're in it. They have a chance. And you like the way the schedule is playing out for them. Single games the next two weekends, hey, we have 40 minutes to go out and dominate and win. And if you can take care of Columbia and then you can take care of Cornell at home, the students will be back. Everybody will be excited come the beginning of February when Harvard and Dartmouth come to town. You'll be three and four and then really have a chance to get to that 500 mark and get over that 500 mark for the stretch run. That's where the pieces can start to come together. And for any of our New York City friends who might be listening, Brown, Columbia, that's a 2 p.m. tip on Saturday. You could start your weekend with a little afternoon hoops uh, maybe a little brunch before or a little happy hour after uh, on the weekend uh, I would certainly love to be partaking in New York City uh, this time of year or any time of year for that matter I think we'll save that for March Maury uh, <laughs> yeah. when the Big East tournament is there and and we will be back uh, in attendance fans will be there uh, be great to be back at Madison Square Garden uh, full garden for something like that uh, you know, would be wonderful certainly um more you got anything else no i think that's it Um, actually i take that back yeah you do have something else you have something to plug i have something to plug yes i have a i have a little thing to plug um yeah it's i think um like i was saying earlier uh being pushed from you guys and uh you and coit especially on the pod and and the rest of the media uh members in the market, um, wanted to flesh out and try something new. I think it's always important if you stay if you stay stagnant too much, then you know you don't have you know times of growth. And um, you know I write a lot for TV, which is usually short and succinct. Yep. Uh, but a chance to really spread the wings and get out and sort of back to some of the roots uh, that I did in, in in college before I took the TV route. As I uh, yeah started a little college hoops column uh, on WPRI.com. Uh, nothing cr- no, nothing crazy, uh, but we'll touch on all four teams each week. Couple observations. Um, you know I have the opportunity to um, I guess explore other topics um that uh you know sometimes go unlooked uh talk about obviously on social media on twitter with the fan bases but um yeah a couple short paragraphs you know a cup of joe on a monday morning um you know some light reading keep in touch with your teams um you know we're, we're at all the games we hear the coaches talk all the time and um yeah so it's called the the wpri college hoops column i appreciate you giving me a second to to plug it um but really the impetus was you know have a little bit more time for um, now that the NFL season is behind us. Uh, And also I think it always helps especially you guys out there listening is the fan bases in this area crave coverage of their teams. 
um, they, they, they crave talking about their teams, they crave analyzing their teams, and um, you know we all do our best to give them as much content as possible across all platforms. Um, and you know everybody does a tremendous job, and I just hope that you know this also is is mixed into the routine as well. No question. I wish you good luck in in that venture. Uh, you know, generally during the course of the year, I, I you know I sort of use the pod for that outlet for me. No doubt. Um, you know, I, I tend to do more sort of game coverage. Uh, you know, takeaways a little more analytical, a little less opinion in print and online for the journal. I, I generally save that for the end of the year. I sort of do like a state of the union on on each of the men's programs, and and you know as as it looks right now, I'm I'm going to have to do one on the women's programs as well. <laughs> um, you know, but that's uh, you, it is. You know, writing is it's it's obviously what I do for a living, but it's it's a great outlet. It it's is. it's a great way to put your ideas out long form. Um, you know, in in your case, it's much different than writing a 45 second. You know, Vosat, you you can only get so much in there. Uh, you know, you're cutting the highlights and that's it. And there's not really a lot of room in three and a half minutes on a given night to flesh out your opinions and in-depth take, whatever it may be, your observations. Uh, and only so many people are going to see that on social media. So I, I applaud your ambition. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, I would say that uh, I'd be available to consult if you need any tips, but certainly folks who listen to the pod and email me will tell you, don't listen to this moron. Just go ahead and do it on your own and, and you'll be fine. Uh, and certainly you will be. Um, you know, so Maury, with that, I, I want to thank you again uh, for coming in and, and serving as my co-conspirator on another edition of the pod. Uh, I'll be seeing a lot of you over the next few days uh, at games, which is a wonderful thing to say. Um, you know, it's great that we have our teams coming off COVID pause, Providence the last one, and, and getting back into action on the floor. Uh, season's heating up, folks. Woo! Next pod we do will be in the last full week of January. All of a sudden, we'll be down to one full month of college basketball regular season in February. It has arrived quickly. We can't wait for it. Thank you all very much.